0: There is not much to see in Capernaum today. Okay, it's not totally fair to say it that way. When a group from our congregation traveled to the Holy Land a little over four years ago, we stopped at Capernaum like most travelers do. And there are, in fact, a few things to see there. You can see the ruins of what was clearly an impressive synagogue. A few tall columns of bright white limestone kind of ringing the edge of a large rectangular platform. It's not actually the synagogue that was there in Jesus's time. This one was built a few centuries later, but it's still interesting to see. You can see excavations revealing the foundations of houses and streets in this little seaside peasant village. I remember being a little bit shocked at the close quarters that everybody was living in. Let's just say there are not big, sprawling lawns between the houses there. You were clearly never very far away from your neighbors in a place like this, and probably never very far away from knowing a whole lot about your neighbor's business also. You can see a church that was built in 1990 that looks like a flying saucer that just kind of landed in the middle of this archaeological site. It's beautiful inside with windows all around, and it's built right over the place that's traditionally been venerated as the home of St. Peter. And that's about it. I'm sure if you're an archeologist, there's lots more to notice here, but for most pilgrims, the village is sort of a 45 minute stop on the tour bus. One more place where people used to live. There's not all that much to see in Capernaum today. And that has a lot to do with our reading from the Gospel of Mark this morning. The way Mark tells it, Jesus's public ministry began here. He called his first disciples down by the seashore and the first place they went was Capernaum. There's nothing particularly remarkable about this town. It was a small fishing village of a couple hundred people in Jesus's time without much to distinguish it from other small villages in the region. But Simon and Andrew happened to live there. So maybe that's why Jesus and his first disciples went there right away. They went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and we heard about that visit last week. How this presumably unknown local boy stood up to teach with such remarkable authority that captivated the small crowd in the synagogue and also caught the attention of an unclean spirit possessing a man there. You get the impression that everybody who'd been to the synagogue that day had a whole lot to talk about when they went home you won't believe what we saw at worship today so while everyone is back at their houses talking about this guy from nazareth who just taught with such passion and whom even the demons obey jesus and his disciples head back to simon and andrew's house where simon's mother-in-law is sick with a fever our reading today picks up here with the crew entering the house and Jesus tending to this woman whose name we never learn. The details in the story are few. Jesus takes the woman by the hand and lifts her up where she from where she's been lying and immediately the fever is gone. Remember what I said about the houses being really close together in Capernaum? Well, it seems it did not take long for the news to spread both the news about the exorcism that had happened in the synagogue and now about the healing that had just happened in the house. And at sundown, when the Sabbath is over, Mark tells us that the whole town is gathered at the door. There are people with wounds that won't heal and demons that will not leave them alone and ailments that have been plaguing them for years and fevers that began just yesterday. It seems everybody is in need of healing of some kind, whether for themselves or for a loved one. And now they know where to find it, at Simon and Peter's house where Jesus is staying. Jesus jumps right in, according to Mark. He heals various illnesses and he casts out demons and he tends to each person until late into the evening when finally it's time for folks to go home and go to sleep. The next morning, As the sun is just starting to rise over the Sea of Galilee and this village is just beginning to wake up, there's a knock at the door. Andrew yawns and stumbles out of bed to see who it is, and it's a family from across the courtyard. Listen, they say, we know Jesus is here. He was awfully busy last night, and he didn't get to see our grandfather. He's had pain in his leg for years. Can Jesus see him now? Well, hold on, Andrew says, and he goes back in and knocks on the door of the room where Jesus was sleeping, only to find that he's gone. Sorry, he says to the neighbors, I'll try to find him, and when I do, I'll let you know I know where to find you. And while he's waking up, Simon and James and John, there's another knock at the door. There are more neighbors outside now, others who didn't get a chance to see Jesus last night, There's even somebody from the next village over who heard there's a new healer in town who everybody's talking about. Where's Jesus? They all want to know. We want to see him. And you heard where Jesus is. He's off on a hilltop outside of town where he's been since before the sun came up. It's midday before Andrew and these others can find him. And when they finally do, it's with some exasperation Everyone is looking for you, they say. It's great that you healed all those people yesterday. It's all anybody can talk about. But the work here isn't done. There are lots more people here to see you. I want us to pause right here, just for a minute. Because I got to thinking this week about what a pivotal moment this is in the story. I mean, it's easy to miss, but look at the opportunity in front of Jesus right here. He has just rocked this little village to its core, amazing everybody with his teaching and his healing. Word spreads fast in this region and Jesus could take advantage of that. He could just set up shop right here, develop a nice little business plan and open the Capernaum one-stop exorcism and healing center where the doctor is always in where everybody would always know where to find him and where to get their demons taken care of. Everyone is looking for you, say the disciples. And Jesus could very well have said, well, all right, then back to Capernaum we go. But instead he says this, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came to do. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he leave Capernaum, where there was more work to be done, where he could have put himself at the center of a stable, predictable, healing enterprise? Why does he choose the traveling life instead? I have been thinking about that question this week, and I don't think the answer is that Jesus didn't care about the other folks in need in town, or that he was just restless and needed to get back on the road again. I think it's because he meant for each of these communities he visited to be transformed. For each one of them to carry on the work that he began after he left. I think he meant for the people to listen to their scriptures differently when they came together the following week. Like they had a vital word to speak for them today. I think he meant for the people to pray differently. Like God was present and active right now. Fulfilling promises in new and surprising ways. I think he meant for the people to care for one another differently. Like the kingdom of God has really come near. Brimming with healing and wholeness and life. I think Jesus meant to leave communities of healing behind him. In Capernaum and in every other place he visited. Communities that would carry on his work themselves. I personally like the sound of that a lot, and we all know that Christians have taken this seriously in many, many places over the years, building hospitals and caring for the sick. But what does it mean today, in the middle of a pandemic? Does the church, does our community, have a part to play in the work of healing right now? I have to confess that question surprised me a little bit when, the test, when the, this text seemed to ask it this week. I mean, like everybody else, I have been so impressed by and deeply appreciative of the work of medical professionals over the past year, the nurses and the doctors on the front lines, the researchers working tirelessly on vaccines. Their work is so indisputably important and so urgent that I haven't really thought of healing in any other way in the last year. Healing means well-equipped hospitals with free beds. Healing means widely available vaccines. Full stop. And of course, healing does mean those things. I'm registered in the Geneva database to get the vaccine when it's my turn, and I hope you are as well. But our reading this morning Jesus leaving the folks in Capernaum to carry on his ministry of healing got me thinking that we should not discount and forget about the work entrusted to all of us as followers of Jesus. Because healing also means praying for others who are sick. And it means listening to someone who is anxious or fearful or lonely. And it means reminding a young person that she is of infinite value, made in the image of God. And it means lifting someone else's spirits with a song of faith, even over a live stream. And it means showing up as a member of the community, being present and expecting God to be active among us. It's not like I haven't thought of these parts of our church's life over the last year. I just haven't thought of them as healing work, but maybe we should. Tilda Norberg, a United Methodist minister and therapist, puts it this way. Healing is not just fixing up things that are wrong. Real health, from a Christian point of view, is coming into the fullness of your vocation as a child of God. It means becoming Christ-like. That's an ongoing calling and gift for all of us as the church, accompanying one another in the journey and inviting others to join in. If Jesus had simply set up shop in Capernaum, there might be a whole lot more to see there today. Maybe it would be sort of the place of pilgrimage, the one magic place to go in search of healing. But would communities of healing have sprung up all over the region and then all over the world? Would churches full of ordinary people be carrying on this work of the kingdom wherever they are? Who knows? What I do know Is that healing is not only the work of professionals it is also the work of you and me listening and praying and encouraging and building up the whole city is gathered around the door and we do have something to offer the promise that god is present with us through this time and empowering us to care for others make your broken people whole we pray